Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to make 2023 your best September elk season yet? If you answered yes, my friends, you are in the right place. From the Western Huntsman Podcast and brought to you by Phelps Game Calls, welcome to the School of September, the most comprehensive September elk hunting podcast on the planet. Listen in to some of the world's most prolific elk hunters joining us to talk about strategy, calling elk, spot and stock, and closing the deal on some of our wildest dreams. From the Broken Time Studio to your knowledge toolbox, let's get one step closer to notching that tag. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the School of September, brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast. I am very happy to announce this month's guest is Sam Davis. He's a return guest to the show, uh, and this is going to be a really good one. I think you guys are going to really like it. Uh, before we get there, I do want to mention for July's installment, the um, the one and only sponsor uh, for the School of September series is Phelps Games Co- Game Calls. And you guys are, if you've listened to my show, you're very familiar with Phelps Game Calls. Uh, and I just want to give them a plug before we kick this off. But Phelps Game Calls has been one of the longest standing sponsors for the Western Huntsman podcast. Uh, it's an all-around great American company. Jason started this company in his garage out of, uh, you know, necessity to make a little bit more of an authentic-sounding bugle tube and, and calls and reads and uh, you know, everything that they make. And now they're they're this company that produces all sorts of things from bird calls to predator calls to duck call or I'm sorry, uh, deer call. Well, they do do duck calls, but uh, deer, deer calls, which are actually – Super cool. If you guys are into calling in deer, <laughs> uh, you got to check out their grunt tubes. They're really cool. Um, but this year, Phelps has like even raised the bar a little bit higher. They released something called the Unleashed V2. This bugle tube has a new cover. It's shaped a little bit different. It's shorter. It's lighter. Uh, and it sounds freaking amazing. So check it out at phelpsgamecalls.com. September is only two months away, less than two months away. Uh, and if you're looking into getting a new bugle tube, you cannot go wrong. I love the back pressure on this thing, by the way. If it just feels like you could really hold that bugle a long time. And sometimes I've found when, when you can really hold that bugle, that, that initial locator bugle, you tend to get a little bit more responses that way. Just a little, little hot tip for you. But anyway, go to phelpsgamecalls.com. Uh, and check out that Unleashed V2 bugle tube and use promo code HUNTSMAN10 at checkout for 10% off. All right, guys, without further ado, uh, a few months ago I had this guy named Sam Davis on the show, and uh, we got, man, I got more positive feedback off of that episode uh, than I have in a lot of other episodes combined. And so it's I'm really excited to bring him back on, and we're going to talk a little bit, a, a little different strategy when it comes to bow hunting for elk uh, in this one. So everybody, give it up. I know we can't hear you because this is audio only. But Sam, just imagine there's a cheer, there's a cheering <laughs> crowd behind the microphone, man. How you doing? And I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Jim. I really appreciate it. So uh, I, we got we got to yak in there, and I got a little bit off topic there. But um, I I mean, how are things going? You're down in Sheridan, Wyoming. Summer finally kicked in. You said, and uh, how are things? It's good. It's been uh, it's been a full summer of trying to get to the mountain as much as I can with my family and getting a little bit of scouting in, chasing 3D shoots around the 
chasing 3D shoots around a little bit. And my five-year-old, she's shooting her bow now. So oh, it's nice. fun to enter her in the cub division. And yeah, we've had fun this summer. We've been doing that. And like I said, doing a little bit of scouting and all the rodeos. We, we do peewee rodeos. So we got mm-hmm. rodeos that we, we do a little bit of that too. And we're right in the middle of that. And yeah, man, summertime's Heck in full yeah, swing. And yeah, doing good. Doing very well. My uh, yeah, I, I I can't wait. I've got a we've got a rodeo we're going to this. Um, I, I can't remember if it's in Rexburg, Montana, or Eureka, Montana. They're pretty close together, but we're going up this weekend for for the first rodeo of the year. I haven't we haven't been to one yet this year. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, it's 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 the season. That's for sure. Everywhere around the West. Well, and you can't live in Wyoming without being way into rodeos. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go. exactly. Yeah, yes. Well, well cool, man. Um, I'm I'm excited. I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear you got your daughter out doing the 3D stuff too. That's that sounds great. I uh, I, I need to get uh, get the girls out. We don't have any close by here, so uh, I need to just bite the bullet and drive a little further. I guess. Yeah, I think yeah. they're a good time. I mean, and my daughter, she loves them. We went. We were at a mountain archery fest. They held one of those close to Sheridan, and and those guys, they do a great job of putting that on in the competitive division and they give out a lot of money for the prizes so it's worth it for some of them and some of them are just fun just because you're shooting with your buddies and my wife's very competitive so i like shooting against my wife and have a little competition and uh, yeah it keeps you keeps you on your game i think shooting 3ds is damn good practice for sure are, are you afraid to announce who on 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 air like this who beats you know who who wins you or your wife? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what I dropped the ball at the Mountain Archery Fest. I was I had pretty high hopes. I ended up being just out of the money. And my wife in the women's division, she took second, so she uh, paid for re- she won all of our entry fees back and nice. uh, paid for the next weekend of having fun at the rodeo. So yeah, my <laughs> wife she's the one that crushed it last weekend. I didn't bring home anything, so yeah, right she was on, the winner. Well, good for her. Good for her. Nice yeah. work, Mrs. Davis. So, um, <laughs> for anybody that may have not heard the last episode you were on or uh, doesn't know who you are, um, give us like a snapshot of your elk hunting career, Sam. Like, like walk us through how you got started and uh, and and you know your your life as an elk hunter. Um, yeah, you know, nothing too intense, but just just a yeah. quick snapshot. Um, grew up in Wyoming, born and raised. Uh, my dad was a guide and outfitter. So since the age of, since I could walk, I mean, essentially yeah, there's pictures of me standing in the back of the horse trailer when I was one and a half, two years old when dad was coming home with elk, um, quarters on horses, you know, and I was in those pictures. Um, fast forwarding, I started guiding. I started hunting with a bow exclusively when I was 15 years old. Killed my first elk with a bow when I was 15. It's been bow hunting strictly since then, except for one elk in 2006. So since the year 2000, I've killed one elk with a rifle. Everything else has been with a bow. Um, I started guiding at the age of 18 in Montana and Wyoming. Um, There were years where I would take anywhere from tons of elk hunters. I've guided a lot of elk hunters. I'm 40 to 85 elk, 90 elk a year. I mean, seen a lot of elk die. So, yeah, and did that for um, almost 20 seasons. I guided that long up until last year. I changed jobs, went to work for a different outfitter in a different place and really backed off elk guiding. But that being said, every September I was bow hunting for myself. Then October, November, and all the way through the late season, I was guiding elk hunters. So I spent a lot of time in the elk woods for only being 38 years old. I've I've done a lot of elk hunting. Um, yeah. 
And so I've seen a lot, all the different styles. And I think that that forced me to learn all the different ways to hunt them from the early season calling all the way to the late season, kind of figuring out what everything, how that everything was working in that aspect of things too. So yeah, that's a snapshot of me and I've, I've, I've been around a lot of dead elk. So you're such a stud, man. I love it. Um, what, so tell me a little bit about how you go about hunting elk for yourself in September. What, what is that? Like, what are, what are the strategies you use? Because I think that's, that's going to be like the main focus in this one. I'm a, I'm a very, very big like spot and stock guy. First of all, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty much a solo hunter um mm-hmm. i have a hunt, really good hunting partner zach dewitt he's a stud he's he's even more of a spot stock killer than me that guy he doesn't even carry calls uh i always at least have a call in my pack um we hunt together we may camp together but we run solo from there so we might we'll biv, bivouac out away from each other we usually have kind of a base camp um so like i said we're doing a lot of solo hunting um and with that, I like to really focus on early season. I, everybody always asks me, like, what's your favorite week in September to hunt? Or, like, what's your favorite day in September? And I was like, I always say September 1st through September 30th. <laughs> There's 30 yeah. days. I'm going to use them all. Um, yeah, so for sure. I, I really, I really like the beginning of September. I really like that early season when – and I'm talking, like, now that I've gotten older, I'd say in the last 10 years, I've really focused on mature bulls. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing a number at that, but I want those mature bulls. I want that four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half-year-old bull older, and I, I, I just like chasing them. I like chasing those herd bulls. But when it's early season, I've killed some bulls. A lot. I think I would say – I don't even know how many I've killed. Probably, like, I would say 70% of the bulls I've killed. 80% of the bulls I've killed, I've killed before the 15th of September. Just because it's, it, I like to hunt. I just really like to hunt, and I'm 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 out there from day one. So the minute the season opens on the first of September, I'm I'm getting after it. And so a lot of those bulls have died even in the first. And then out of those eighty percent of those, out of eighty percent of the total elk I've killed, the bulls I would say that seventy percent of those bulls have died like in the first six or seven days of the season. I really like hunting the early season because I like the bulls. Yeah, I've seen them with cows. I've seen big bulls, old mature bulls with those summertime herds, you know, of a hundred plus cows before they've all broke up into their, you know, smaller, their smaller groups and harems. Um, But I've also found those bulls that act just like a big old mule deer buck. They, they're just laid up and they're not, they're, they're within eyesight, maybe, you know, 500, 800 yards of those cows, a ridge away, the other side of a canyon away. They're kind of staged up. The velvet's all rubbed off they're piping off early in the mornings and then they bugle out of their beds right as it gets daylight and then they don't get back up and start moving until evening again late evening and they're not really worried about the cows they know where the cows are and i think they're within kind of a my theory is they kind of sit in like a nose distance nose shot where they can sell that herd mm-hmm. and i think if an early i think some of those big bulls that they just kind of go in and they kind of heat check a herd so you see those big bulls you know the 29th of august the 28th of august you'll see a, a giant you'll see an old bull and he'll be walking through, and he may be making a little bit of noise. I wouldn't say I've ever seen him bugling crazy. There's the exception years, but they might have had a, a hot cow. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, we're always so focused on the month of September, and it really comes down to just if there's a cow in heat, there's going to be – if there was a cow in heat in uh, July, a bull's going to breed her. If there's a cow in heat in March, a bull's going to breed her. It yeah. doesn't matter about the month of September. If, if a cow doesn't come into – doesn't get pregnant she keeps missing you know missing getting pregnant she's she's still gonna cycle she's still gonna cycle it happens just like cattle you know bovine horses anything it's 
nature does a wild thing and just keep because they got to procreate so i think uh those bulls are kind of always in the nose shot distance from those herds and i've seen those bulls roll in you know but they always seem to pull off it's not like they're they're there for for the taking until about the tenth you know after the tenth then you see those bulls start to get in there and you really start to see those bulls roll around and break up those herds and mm-hmm. take their claim their harems but i guess what i like to do being solo is i like to move in on those bulls when they are by themselves or when they're striking you know they're sitting off away from the herds so so kind of like that's, before before what we all consider the you know peak of the rut kind of thing uh mm-hmm. you're 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 looking for those big bulls that are monitoring the elk or the the cows and the herd and, and whatnot before that like you said like before those big herds and and this is going to be super dependent on where you're at uh yep. like like yep. we don't we don't get herds of a hundred here in north idaho or or western montana you know there uh but I, I want to ask you, like, before we get into this, because what if if you guys listening aren't smelling what Sam's stepping in, we're we're kind of going down this strategy concept of of in, you know usually school of September is all about how to call in an elk and and how to do that and uh, yeah you know locating to to pissing a bull off or or doing like these breeding sequences that we always talk about all all the things vocalization uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a break from that on this episode so. Can, when when we're when you're talking about that, can you kind of describe the country you're hunting? Because I think that that makes a, a bit of a difference. All right, I can say this. I mean, it's definitely I've used it in the mountains, and then I've usually used like, like uh, the real thick timber. It's it's definitely tougher. Um, yes, um, it's like that North Idaho stuff. It's I don't know if it's as conducive at all to what the game plan. It's more open country is what I'm talking about when you got. So, you know, you got some big sagebrush divides that you can look at where you got feeding grounds that you're seeing those elk work out into. And then they're going to a water source, usually more of an arid, open kind of uh, open country is what I'm what I'm more referring to. Um, I like hunting that open country because I like using my glass. And so I usually hunt in country that's conducive to the style that I like to hunt. I have killed yeah. bulls and black, black timber, but I don't love to hunt those areas. I usually seek out spots that are conducive to my style of a it's a hybrid spot and stock i wouldn't say it's a complete spot and stock method because there are times elk are still vocal and i am still listening for vocalizations to find elk you know i i depend on my glass 99 percent of the time but i'm still listening for those vocalizations because if a bull pipes off i'm damn sure going to work my way that direction and find out what's going on do you do you um, respond to him if he pipes off at all no, if a bull pipes off on his own, I don't respond to him at all. I'll stay quiet because there's no sense in me making noise because I don't want him to know that I'm there. Sure. Now, if he gets quiet on me, I have in instances where I, I've been like, say, I can't where I've heard one over a ridge and I've hustled to get to the top and then it's been in the 45 minutes and I haven't heard anything. I have let out a call, a bugle to see, get him to respond one more time and pick out his location again. And hopefully i'm catching them still on their feet because that's that's a l because you know they like to go in the deep in the dark and bed down but sometimes you can catch the bulls like i've killed a couple bulls that have bedded in some open timber or like on i caught one bull he came out three o'clock in the afternoon one day because a cloud came over on a super hot day now this is an open country i didn't know this bull was even there and I was glassing this big canyon bottom, and I'd seen a couple bulls at the top of it. This is September 3rd. Um, 
2016. I don't remember the year. It was kind of a dry year we'd had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I caught some bulls early that morning in the top end of this canyon. They'd went into a timber thicket. So I was just getting up there, 2.30, 3 o'clock. I was going to get up, set my spot and go up, up, and just watch the top end of that basin. And as soon as I really like to hunt them when the thermals change in the evenings, um, I like an evening thermal because they're, they seem pretty consistent. I can count on it. Um, nothing's going to be changing as the sun's coming up, you know, in the morning, how it's uh, the difference there. So anyways, I'm watching this top in this basin. Well, I happen, a cloud rolls over and it goes from about 97 degrees and it drops down to, I bet in the high eighties, like it drops 10 degrees really fast. Nice. And I just am watching the bottom of the Canyon and 350 yards from me, a bull steps out of the thicket and he's a, it was a stud. He was a big bull and he steps out and I'm watching him like, holy smokes. I mean, right from there, I took my boots off. I was so excited. I remember I took my boots off right there and started started, started stalking on him immediately because I was like, he's on his feet. I need to make the most of it. Um, now with that, when the, when the sun gets covered up by a cloud, everybody knows that cools the air and it changes those thermals. So now I had a downhill thermal when I had been sitting and I had uphill thermal. So I had to quickly cross the canyon and go in below him to make sure that if the cloud stayed there, I was coming in from kind of a bottom end approach and the wind was going to be coming from him to me. But then B, if the sun did come back out, I was wanted to be closer to his level. So when it did shift, it blew up. It would be going above him and not at him. So sure. I hustled in on that one and that bull, he was only 350 yards when I first spotted him. A very lucky spot. I will say that I had no idea he was there. I went in with intentions of passing the bulls at the head of the canyon. It would have been 500 yards away. Anyways, I slipped down, got across the draw. The sun was still hidden behind the clouds. This cool breeze was blowing. And he had worked his way out into a little patch of grass, probably, you know, 30 feet by 40 feet. Trees on the north-facing side, but it was kind of sparse trees on the south-facing side. I got myself onto the south-facing slope, and I was working in at him. Sun came back out, and he literally bedded behind the only lone small pine tree that was right by him. And it exposed his whole rack. So... As I snuck up to him, he was 62 yards away. I could see his rack from about his G3s up. And there was a, there was a slight roll in the hill. It dropped off, and there was kind of a bench that led right out to him. So I just now the sun was out. It was back to 95 degrees. I just slowly crept my way off that bench watching him. And that's the one thing about sneaking up on an elk. It's like they got a satellite dish on top of their head. You can tell which yeah. way they're looking. Yeah. You can tell if their head's down sleeping. You know, sometimes you just got one antler laying up because they'll literally lay their head on one, you know, one antler and they'll, they'll just go to sleep. You can tell when their chin's on the ground because it'll be kind of kicked back. You'll tell their main beams are kind of kicked back. When it's hot, like it was that day, I, I vividly remember watching his antlers like throbbing because he was panting. He was, he left his hindquarters out in the sun and his antlers, he was just, he was, he was panting. And so you could just see his, his antlers slowly like pulsing with every breath. And I was able to slip down to 18 yards right above him. And I actually found a hole in the trees and I stuck him right in his bed and he no stood kidding. up. Didn't, yeah. He stood up, didn't even take a step, dropped back down to his knees. And that was it. He was done right there at three 30 in the afternoon on September 3rd. That sounds like a freaking hoot, man. That's a great story. You know, I, I get excited listening to stuff like that because obviously, you know, just listening to somebody like you talk elk hunting is, is super educational for a guy like me. But it's it's um, it's so different than than what I do here. And, and I, I've just kind of limited myself, man. I need to travel and, and start hunting out of state a little bit more because... Uh, you know, I I love the idea of sneaking through the sagebrush. Now, what when you when you talk about that in that landscape, there's um, I, we have. A, are you hearing an echo, or is it just on my end? 
I'm not hearing an echo. I'm okay. super clear. Okay, yeah, perfect. Good okay. I, I can deal with it as long as it's not throwing throwing us both off here. Anyways, when you're when you're talking about the country you're hunting in and it's like open stage, um, you know that that kind of I don't know high desert is sometimes what I refer to it as because it's real dry. Yeah. Um, yep. Are, what kind of elevation are you talking about? Are you are you way up in this up up in the mountains? Or are you kind of down in that lower country where it's almost like I don't know, bordering private or whatever? No, I've hunted a lot of badlands country where you're anywhere from four thousand to six thousand feet, and then I've you know some of the mountain ranges I've hunted are very similar, and they'll be around that seven thousand eight thousand foot range too. But I yeah. see most of the stuff I like to hunt is where around that 5,000 to 6,000 foot range, not super high at all. It's, it's, uh, it's not 10,000 foot mountains that I'm talking about. It's, it's that low arid stuff. Yeah. 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 It's, I, I love that kind of country. It's, it's, there's, it's totally different. It offers a completely different experience. And, and that's why I was excited to get you on because I think that there, I think that there are a lot of people that hunt that kind of country that, um, maybe kind of feel gypped on these school of September episodes because we're always talking about the high country, you know, the, the, the super high cut. Co- well, where I'm hunting high country is like 4,500 to 6,500. You know, it, it's not like Utah or Colorado or, or, or Southern Idaho or, or some of these mountains where you're 10,000 feet. I used to hunt that stuff, but, um, anyway, beside the point. I, I think it's important because I again I think there's a lot of people that hunt that kind of country and what do you think is it more challenging to try to call a bull in open country like that or is it is it more challenging to do what you're doing? I think if if someone <laughs> this is really going into my tactics uh, to be honest with you if you can get tight in on an open country bull and make him believe. So let's just throw an example right at that bull that I was on. Let's say that it was a little later in September and he was a little heated up, or let's say it was a September 3rd, exactly like it was. I think like in a situation like that where the North facing slope does have timber and it is thicker, you and then the whole South facing slope, like you're going to have a real hard time convincing him there's a cow standing on a South facing slope mm-hmm. when he can see 300, 350 yards, right? Yeah. But I've been in this exact same situation. Now, I, I last year, I, I this is where I was hybrid. I worked in on a bull and worked in on a bull, and he had about eight headed cows with him. And when I was ran out of country, I was in open, open, open country. I worked onto the same bench that I saw him and his cows disappear onto from, from about 900 yards away. I slid in above them. And when I got to a spot where I was like 65 yards from the edge of the hill, I ranged the last tree. Um, it was open sagebrush. There was one tree on the edge of that hill, and there was a there was a there was a thicket below me, off to my right. Anyways, my wind was coming from left to right, and I couldn't push up any further as far as the spot and stock situation went because my wind was going to give me up to his cows. I had to stay back that 65, 70 yards from the edge. When I got that close, I knew that I had, I had last seen that bull about 85 to 90 yards away. I knew that's where he had disappeared in those trees, so I. I guess I say hybrid because I spot and stalked, easing my way quickly, though, all the way up to where I could last go to. And then I ripped off one bugle. And I was so close to him, Jim, that I honestly ripped off my bugle. And I could see his antler tips coming over the edge. He was he was sub he was 60 sick. yards. Oh, he man. was right there. And so I was in his bubble. I didn't do anything. Stuck the bugle tube between my legs, clicked on my release, and drew back. And he, I didn't have time to uh, 
to range anything. I literally had a bull walking at me, slobbering, eyes rolled back in his head, looking right through me. And so that was where I said that was a hybrid situation where I had spot and stalked all the way in to where I had last seen them disappear. And I knew they were just over the roll of the hill, but I couldn't push up any further because of the wind. Yeah. And it was 11 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, hell with it, I can get down there and I can make something happen. And sure enough, I let one bugle out and he came on top of me. So God, back that's, to what's exciting. Exactly. So I think that's where like my hybrid scenarios work very well. So if you can get into open country and you can create a scenario just like you do in the dark timber of he's still got to come and look for you, I think you really, really, really play the cards in your favor because they have to believe you because they're like, man, usually I can see what is talking to me and I can't right now. So I have to walk. I think those elk are actually more apt to call in than your dark timber elk are because they're so reliant on eyesight all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. They can usually see the cows that are talking, right? That they're like, Oh, there's gotta be one there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, no, that's totally. the theory I look at. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. So man. That, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, that's what I've used. And I've used it for like, when I when I'm hunting with my wife, you know, she's killed I think she's killed four bulls, five bulls with her bow, and she's been hunting like six years now. Mm-hmm. And she's she's got pretty. I've called every single one of those in, all off of this hybrid method though. I I push in with her, I push in with her, push in with her. And we've killed some really mature bulls. She killed one of her biggest bulls on September first. He's a ten and ten year old, three hundred some giant. Like he was a stud, and it was just pushed into his house spot and stocking spot and stocking and when i got as close as i could with two of us sneaking in dry september grass i couldn't push it anymore it's kind of like all or nothing i'm here i just need to convince him i'm here i started raking and bugled one time and he he, he ran over the top of us because i'd already i wasn't trying to call him from 150 yards i was trying to call him from 76 yards yeah um i mean i'm sneaking up almost within a long bow shot you know my wife's confident up to 50 but i'm sneaking into a uh a long bow shot pretty much. And then started my calling scenario with still a bunch of trees in front of me so that he has to just take, like I'm only calling them 25 or 30 yards. You know, I'm not calling them 150 yards or 500 yards. Like I, uh, I, I really use the hybrid scenario in that case, but okay. so yeah, I guess there, there's when I guess if that kind of makes sense, that's, that's kind of my theory on the calling in the open country. You still have to make the scenario so where they come look for you but get right on. So that's where the open country helps you too. Cause 90% of the time you can see them the whole time you're sneaking up on them. They're a yellow school bus standing there. Yeah, man. You just gotta, that's... you just gotta work your way in, work your way in, work your way in and now move around the edge of the hill or back into the cedar trees, you know, or back into the ponderosas and get set up and now make that, make it happen to where they're coming at you and they only have to come a little ways. Okay. So I, I, I want to back up a little, even a little bit further because I I want to first explain to to folks listening that the type of country that Sam is describing can can pretty much be found in every western state where where we've got, you know, elk hunting is prevalent. So you could be in <clears throat> excuse me. You could be in uh you know, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, um uh, the the western coast states uh, Montana, Idaho, you know, Wyoming, any of these, any of that kind of country described, it's going to have a little variance to it. But, uh, I think it's a important that we point that out. And B, I want to, I want to back it up because one of the, one of the big topics 
I try to get I try to start very basic and and like foundational on School of September and then move into like more of an Elk 201, Elk 301 kind of scenario. I think um yeah. I think that's yeah. what Cody how Cody describes it, you know, on the Rich Outdoors. Uh, uh-huh. you know, like a like a, a hunting 201 scenario. But so going back to this very foundational thing, um we talk a lot usually on locating elk and and i i guess that's been one of the issues in my own mind is i have it in my mind everybody's hunting this super thick jungle timber like i hunt because you you Uh mentioned black timber that's that's all i hunt that's that's all i know to hunt i used to hunt some of that open country back back in my you know days in utah and whatnot but really when it comes down to it i hunt mainly 99.9 percent of the time in this real black real thick, real type of timber. And so I think that that's where my questions always go to. So I want to talk the same, uh, you know, line where we're, we're, uh, we're, we're discussing locating elk, um, but without calling locating elk in, in that high timber, dark timber kind of stuff is, is going to be real dependent on calling where uh, well, and it, it, that depends on if it's patchy. And again, th- this is a, that's the fun part, I guess, with, with elk hunting, man. You can go down any rabbit trail you want, you know, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the country that you're describing, I want to, I want to go like, give us an idea as to how you initially locate elk. I don't mean actually find them in the bino, uh, you know, find them in the glass. I'm talking about how do you get to a point where you're going to determine to break the glass out and start locating elk, uh, for, for those guys that are, you know, they're, they're brand new to this. And, and that's kind of what we have to think on first. All right, so I guess when I think to the country we're talking about, the open country that I like to hunt, and this mm-hmm. goes for I've hunted I've hunted a lot of open country like this in Montana and Wyoming. I haven't hunted it in Colorado. I've seen it on videos in Idaho. I've never hunted Idaho. Um, I've seen some guys that I watch pretty closely, and they hunt the exact kind of stuff. So I know it's in Idaho. I've been in New Mexico, never hunting elk. I've chased mule deer in New Mexico, and I've seen the same country. So you're absolutely right. This this tactic is. It's an open country elk hunting thing, but it, it there still can be a lot of timber. So it's mountainous. But when it comes to glassing elk for me or like what I decide I'm going to start looking for elk is, first of all, I'm going to have my maps figured out and I'm going to be to my glassing knobs before daylight. Like I'm not getting there as the sun is coming up. I'm getting there 45 minutes before the sun thought of coming up. And how, That's how do key. you... How do you determine the glassing knobs? How, how do you determine, okay, here on the map, this is where I'm going to go and set up in, in glass? All right, so I'm going to be looking for it doesn't and for me it doesn't have to be I'm trying to find the deepest darkest hole away from roads. I want to find these spots where um dead giveaways sometimes if you've got public land and if you've done any scouting at all and you know that there's elk country meeting a bedding area, uh mountainous terrain north facing slope that falls off to any uh, let's let's go straight 201 the easiest spots to find elk in the west, ag fields. <laughs> yeah. All right. If you've got these arid Arid climates, like I'm talking about, if there's ag fields anywhere near, usually, which is always, always private land, there's probably going to be elk that are coming out of north-facing timbers in the evenings, working onto these alfalfa meadows, coming off of those alfalfa fields or green fields in the mornings back up into this country. So that's pinch point hunting. Like you're, you're, you're hunting on like a whitetail there. You're catching these elk coming on, coming off. If you can get anywhere close to that, elk travel a long ways to get to feed. So... If you can find these agricultural fields in your maps, in your scouting, in all these different states, have it. Start working backwards, seeing where is the where would they be bedding at? Where are they getting their water from? How are they getting these fields? All right. 
after you've just, let's let's take that away because that's that's kind of a gimme. Yep. Um, I don't hunt in places where I hunt. I don't really hunt in close to any ag fields. Um, I just I know that's a spot where if I guess if if you're two hundred one and you're driving down the roads because you're from Pennsylvania, it's your first time ever to Idaho, and you drive past an ag, ag field in the evening, you're like, holy cow, look at those elk. Get on your own X and figure out where those elk are going to bed because they're leaving those fields. They're going somewhere. See if it's public. Yep. Um, so in that same sense, elk still have feeding grounds. They still have water. Like they still have to do all of those things. When I start looking at my maps, I start looking at the elk unit that I've drawn. I start looking at the remote areas. I start looking at the water areas and I start looking at where they might feed. Elk like to be usually where it's green in september everything's usually browned up so now you're trying to figure out okay what bottoms are going to be having maybe some green feeding them some north facing slopes that are north facing so they're shadowed most of the day even though there might not be timber filled in the country i'm talking about usually your north facing slopes have some green spots still left on them closer to the bottoms usually so i want to get to a spot now where I can expose those spots from one glassing spot. So in your country, I mean, this is similar to like bear hunting. You want to have a vantage point, a high spot where you can see as much country as possible. I mean, um, I think this is talked about in, in every Eastman's glassing thing. I mean, anybody you can think of that's ever talked about glassing is you want to have a, a, a knob that you can sit on and you can cover as much country with your eyes as possible. And elk are so nomadic and elk cover, especially in arid country, elk cover can cover miles. I mean, miles to go from water to feed to bed. And I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. talking like one mile, two miles. I mean, I've seen elk cover four miles. And when they decide they're going to go, they're going to go now. And uh, good luck getting ahead of them. So that's the thing is, is you want to strategically place yourself to where your glass is doing all the walking for you or as much of the walking as you can. If you can run a ridge line that you can glass off both sides, if you can see the north facing slope, as the morning starts getting stronger, you need to be looking at those north facing slopes that have timber pockets because those elk are going to be starting to work their way into those. Um, They work laterally on hills. You don't see elk climbing straight up and straight down anything. They take the easiest routes possible. Watch cow trails. If you see cow trails coming up out of bottoms or out of private lands or any of that, those elk will walk right on those beef cow trails. And they'll work their way up into those valleys. And they'll work their way up into those timber patches. So all that being said, I want to be on a high vantage point that I've scouted at least on my maps to know, okay, here's a high point. And have three and four and five of those. You want to be on those in the evenings. You want to be on those in the mornings for sure. And I'm definitely a middays. I love to cover country. I'm a guy that can't just sit there for seven hours in glass in one spot, not see anything. (laughs) I like to move. Um, It might only be a hundred yards where I move, but I want to see what that other, what that pocket looks like moving a hundred yards. I want to see what that pocket looks like when I move down the ridge, 200 yards. I'm always looking into hidey holes and, like that, I, I told that story earlier, me killing that bull. That was middle of the day, running a ridge, trying to glass the head of one canyon and just sitting there at three o'clock in the afternoon. It was a hundred degrees. And I just kept looking down and sure enough, a bull comes out because the shade, the sun um, covered, got covered up by the clouds and created shade. And he came out for just a split second to get a bite to eat. So that, I guess just get in this, if you're hunting this open country or you're in country where you can tell there's a feeding feature, which means grass um you can go through this like mark livesey does a great job of explaining how like the elk use all the different feed that's in the first 50 feet out of the trees and the first 50 feet inside of the trees who, those who did, elk, who did you say describe that i'm sorry mark livesey from oh, treeline gotcha. yep yep, yeah. yep i know who you're talking about he's very good he's very good at explaining like 
the biology of all the grasses and forbs that are in what an elk eats are within the first, I think it's like 50 yards of the tree line and the first 50, maybe it's 50 feet in the tree line and 50 feet out of the tree line. So like elk run the edge of those meadows. So you want to be glassing the edge of those meadows and steep spots. Um, These bulls early season, I'm looking for bulls in hell holes. They aren't always just up in the big lush meadows, you know, where the cows are. Like I'm catching these bulls right on the edge of the timber line, running ridge lines. They're acting like mule deer hanging in the shadows. Um, they, it's, uh, I mean, it's, there's so much, like you said, you can go down so many rabbit trails know, with, uh, it is with like bulls every, and where to glass, but yeah, man, that, that, I mean like every sentence you say triggers 10 different questions I have just because <laughs> I'm so curious about this. I love it, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, be as disciplined as I can and just let you, let you describe it. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm trying my mind rolls too. I guess if, if I want to revert back to is when we started this conversation, you kind of asked like my, my, how I roll. So yeah, yeah. when, so that that's all kind of the spot and stock game that that all kind of goes with finding bulls, finding bulls by themselves, doing a lot of glassing. You can pattern them too. If you see bulls, they're just like they are in the late season. You hear about these late season rifle guys seeing these bulls and these avalanche shoots and pulling off and they'll go into a timber and they're going to come right. They set up with their rifles across Canyon, 500 yards. They wait for them to come out in the evening. Boom. They hammer them. Bulls in the summertime are very patternable, like almost like white tailish in that early, early, early season. They're, they're coming out to a meadow, then they're, they're going back into the timber, they're coming out to that meadow, so there's, there's that kind of way of hunting them where it's, it's a hybrid on the stock again. I mean, you, you, you spotted them and you kind of stalked into where they're going to be. Now you're kind of ambushing them, um, waiting on those, those evening thermals to where you can slide in. Also, the way to kill big bulls, what I think too is, is I love, and this is a Brian Barney, he talks about all the time, is, is just coyoting the herd and just staying, getting in on elk not calling, letting them do the talking and you just work in on them. Elk are moving with their nose into the wind and usually the big bulls work in the back of the herd. If you can ever get in that scenario, usually in a morning, they're going from a feeding feature. You Now you've glassed them. You see a big bull. He's got 10 head of cows. They're working from east to west and nose into the wind. You got a west wind and they're working. They're going. This is where physical fitness comes into it because there's been multiple times where I've pushed in and pushed in and just stayed tight behind them. And you are, you're literally just moving with them and trying to stay with them. And you're being quiet. That bull's doing all the talking. The cows are making all the noise. They're creating all the ruckus. You can, you can somewhat move, damn sure move fast, but you can damn sure move almost kind of recklessly because they're making so much noise that you can get away with a lot more than you would on just a silent stock than a lone bull. And that is, that's probably one of my most favorite ways to move in because there's so much going on and elk are so herd dependent. You get those young spikes and those raghorns that are kind of outside the herd. And you can get by them. They'll look at you, but you just kind of keep moving. Don't do anything dumb, but when a spike goes running through the herd of 20 cows, they don't spook. They maybe pick their heads up and you stop, you know, you let it, let things kind of calm back down, but you're going to get away with that movement. If a calf sees you, just stop, let it start chewing its cud. It'll kind of trot off to mom. Mom's going to disregard it because it's just a silly calf. So yeah. there's all those movements and in, in interest. And in, in watching the, that elk habit, those elk habits as you move in. Um, two years ago, I killed one of my biggest bulls I've ever killed. Just moving into the herd. It took a couple hours to get in on him. I'd say it took me probably an hour to get within. I set up from the closest cow. She was about 42 yards away. I want to say I don't remember exactly. And he had about 40 head of cows. 
And eventually, two and a half hours later, he was bedded at 100 yards. And two and a half hours later, he got up and started checking cows. A satellite bullet worked his way in to that closest cow that I was by. And that bull, big herbal, pushed all the way up to run that satellite bull off. And I was sitting right there with an arrow knock ready for him when he came up the hill to check that cow. So that's nice. just where patience comes into that game, too. I'd been on them all morning. They were on their feet all morning. I was on my feet with them all morning. They bedded on a south-facing slope that was a burned south-facing slope, and it had a lot of topography or a lot of rolls in it. So there was some shade, and it was a cooler day. That was on the 11th of September, so that bull had definitely herded up. Had He was a big old bull with cows, and that's where patience came in. After coyoting the herd, being quiet, I didn't make a sound that day, and working in on them, I just laid there, and eventually that big bull came over to check that cow as that satellite board came too close and I was able to get it out. And I've used that scenario. I've used a bunch Montana, 2011. I crawled in on a bull. This is pure open country. There was a patch of timber that was probably 1500 square feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, I think he had six or eight cows in there. I caught the bull standing on the edge of that. And, uh, midday, I just caught him standing out. That was the only elk that showed up. I was just glassing a big, big divide. And uh, it was all sagebrush with some timbered cuts. And he was standing out on the edge just doing the monarch things, kind of looking around. And I hustled up. And I slid all the way across that canyon. And I set up 57 yards from those trees without being able to see in there. And no joke, that bull probably came out 30 minutes later and started raking a tree right in front of me at 53 yards. Really? With his cows. But, yeah, just, just doing an elk thing, just yeah. raking his horns. And I was able to stick an arrow in him. With his eyes closed, I was able to move to the left a little bit because he came out and started raking towards me. His head was mm-hmm. towards me and waited till his eyes were closed and he was raking that tree. And I stepped out on the sagebrush in the wide open and got Sweet. an arrow in him at 53 yards. Yeah. Sweet, man. So, so those are kind of like when I think of kind of the scenarios that I've, I've been in um, without making any noises at all, that's, that's kind of what it's been. You, we talked about uh, black timber. So I've, mm-hmm. I've done it in black timber too. That's, that's a whole different ball game there. Um, so hunting black timber, I was in a spot that you and I talked about earlier when we were talking about units. Um, I was in a spot that I had never been to before. Um, I had a couple of buddies of mine had been down hunting at the week prior and they're like, Hey, go try this. Cause I'd been down in some country five hours across the state. Anyways, mm-hmm. I went down on a Sunday night all by myself. It was raining. I rolled into this new unit, had never even seen it in the daylight. I'd never even been in these mountains. And I woke up on Monday morning. The storm had passed, but it was real windy because that storm was getting sucked out. So clouds were still rolling over, but it was kind of a sunny day. But probably 30 mile an hour winds. You couldn't hear a damn thing, couldn't call. And there's trees everywhere. I was like, I was a little overwhelmed, to be honest with you. The amount of just black timber it was, climbing over logs and this and that. And I just started working ridgelines on my attribute is i like to hike and i took camp on my back and i started covering country and i started kind of gridding gridding these ridges and i could see where some of these bottoms on maps had were green and i thought well maybe they're feeding in those and maybe they're working on the tops of these ridges well eventually i just bumped some elk i just was going through the timber not intentionally bumped elk but i bumped elk you go through enough black timber and you're gonna run into elk yeah absolutely and so i bumped these elk and I kind of was mad at myself because I was, I was really still hunting and I was going easy. And I was like, well, they didn't run too far. You know, elk, if you don't bump them crazy, they, they might just run 150 yards to 300 yards and then stop. Yeah, I think well, that's an important point, man. Uh, so before you go further, I think that's a really important point because there's like two different ways you bump elk. 
you you either a you bump them into the next zip code or or c or b they don't really know why they're spooked yes. they just know something's not right and they just kind of meander off quickly and they don't go very far i, I just wanted to yeah. make that point yeah exactly and this was probably noon so they settled down real fast you could hear the timber crashing and then it got quiet and it got quiet quickly mm-hmm. so i thought well this is the first elk i'd found that whole day of hiking around and so i thought i'm not gonna bump them so i pulled off i went probably oh a half mile up above them on this ridge and sat tight and I sat there till about 4.30 in the afternoon, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, until I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can slip down in them. I got an evening thermal, and maybe I can get on their level or below them, and maybe I can find these elk. So I kind of went with my open country theory, but not being able to see at all. I got down to where I had bumped them from, and I had some tracks to follow through the pine duff, and I started easing along, easing along, lost track, but I just kind of kept on that elevation. And sure enough, as I eased along and eased along, I caught a cow. And she was probably at about 50 yards. I caught this cow working away from me in the timber, just grazing. Now, this, now I'd kind of got in a spot where the timber had kind of opened up and it was letting sunlight through. So there was a little vegetation on the floor, the, the forest floor. So it was kind of green grass bottom. Uh-huh. And I'm working through this on a really steep side hill. And I'm just quiet. Still haven't made a sound. I guess that's where I'm being key in all this is this is some of my quiet, not, not talking at all. Um, uh, strategies and i'm working my way in working my way in following this cow i lose sight of her and i pick her back up pretty soon i ease and i see two cows one of the cows is at 33 yards i can just see the back of her head and the other cows at about 50 yards and now i'm just holding tight this is kind of going back to like i killed that bull two years ago i have not heard a sound i've heard a couple cows talk but i haven't heard a sound nor have i made a sound at all and now it's almost seven o'clock at night and as i'm sitting there um all of a sudden, this bull pipes off, and he bugles. And I'm guessing he's at about 80 yards, and he bugles, and I let out a bugle. I grab my tube, and I rip out a bugle immediately right over the top of him, knowing that I'm 32 yards from his cow, and you could hear him running as hard <laughs> as he could. And so all I did is I had an arrow knocked. I came bull came past that cow at the 32-yard mark, and he's standing at 28 yards. And I put an arrow in him. He was a big, big, mature six point. So, gosh, man, um, what, what day of the what day of the month was that? That was, I want to say that was like September 9th or September tenth. It was right there. Right it was there, right there. Right, the yeah, September Super, two, yep, just yep, like I was saying. Because yep. I've and I've talked about it a bunch, man. But I I really like the the early part of the month. Um, everybody talks about the fifteenth. The fifteenth. You know, I I like I like the 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 first week. And the last week, those like I know you said you'd made that uh, you know comment about the first and the thirtieth or whatever, but I, I really like that first and that last week because it, that seems to be where I get the most action. Maybe it's just because I suck at this and don't know what I'm doing, but that it just tends to be when I get the most action. Yeah, and I, you're probably right. Like I would say that I get the most action in the first week, but I don't think it would be fair for me to say that because I've spent the most time personally hunting. It seems like I'm always done by the 15th. So now my buddies, I've been on some hunts and I've filmed some hunts and I've guided some hunts where, man, that third week, second, when they're rutting and there's just craziness going on, that's pretty, pretty crazy too. But I, I would, I would agree with you. We've done some hunting in that late September. That's pretty phenomenal. Cause it seems like those bulls have got a bunch of those cows bred and now they're almost looking for those second cycle cows. And it's created more of another rut frenzy because they're kind of panicking to find more. Yeah, that could In a go sense into too. yeah, that could that could go into like that first week or two of October. October. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I hundred percent agree with that. That 
I kind of see the same the same theories I, as as I do with the beginning of September. It's just I feel like the beginning of September for me, just those first, you know, seven to ten days is those bulls are they're curious because it's like there there's a there's an excitement um, mm-hmm. and they haven't they haven't fought each other off. They're still kind of in bro mode, so they're more willing to come like look at you. Yeah. Um. Not not really scared of a big bull whooping their ass because they haven't had their ass whooped yet. You know what I mean? It's oh yeah, absolutely, not, man. So that they're a little more e- easily to call in because they're 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 wanted. They're a lot more anxious than than they are at the end of September, even after a long just because of the long rut and they're tired. I think they're fresh and they're ready to ready to play ball. And uh, I I just I like that beginning of September for those reasons too. If sure. you are going to run a hybrid hybrid and have that call with you. And all this being said, too, this open country, it's really uh, a decoy. I use a decoy when I'm when I am on the call, and I've had elk run over the top of me oh, all really? the way through. Yeah, tell us a little bit about decoys, man. Yeah, so I, I carry decoy um, for sure, and I like to set up a decoy if I'm in that open country scenario. I've had bulls come a long ways. Those elk that my wife has shot, I'd say three out of the five of them have came into decoys. Um, big bulls. Uh, just 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 six points um just bulls too but uh i think those elk in that open country right back to their dependency on their eyesight you know they're so used to seeing something that when they see something it's like ah there it is you know like there she is i have decoy i call her delilah delilah goes everywhere and i've had her for years and well delilah she's a sexy one because she's worked her magic on some giants um i have a chicken named delilah thought i'd throw that out there (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so i I think the uh the decoy thing has worked great and it's worked late too i can remember one of the biggest bulls we ever called and my buddy killed it i don't like to throw on numbers but i get excited because he killed just under 370 bull in montana on october 13th one year when this you know the season runs in montana six week archery season yeah and it was the second class day we'd already guided rifle hunters and our boss kicked us out, and Zach still had a tag, and we had one day left in Montana archery season, and we bombed in there, and we called the bull in in wide open sagebrush country. So you're gonna get a kick out of this because this is calling, and this is open country. We had seen a bull probably a half mile away in this country. It is sagebrush, and there is a few cedar trees in the cuts, but not a lot. It is pretty much straight up mule deer sagebrush country. Big, big rolling divides. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, three foot deep sagebrush holds a lot of elk and uh, we glassed a bull. He was a broken six point, but it was the last day of the season. And we were like, hell with it. Let's make a run. And so the way we had to get around him to get the wind, right. We were going to stock in on this bull and show up the call or the, we were going to do whatever it took. And with the way we had to do it, we had to go up over a ridge, drop into a Canyon. And this put us, Oh, a half mile behind him, but it was the only way that we could get out of his eyesight to work in behind him. If that makes any sense. Well, when we dropped over that ridge and got into the backside canyon, we run into a bull that's the bull of all bulls. A mega bull happened to be in that canyon, and he is just walking alone all by himself through this big, up this big uh, sagebrush divide, just bugling. And he is screaming all by himself. There's not an elk around except for that. So I'm, I'm guessing there was a harem somewhere. I don't know. We never found out. This bull's walking along just screaming, bugling by himself. I'm across Canyon huh. from him. I'm about 800 yards off and the sun is in my face, but it's an overcast day. So I'm, I'm, I'm bright. I'm, I'm bringing that up because it was brighter out, but it wasn't like just sun bearing on me. Right. I was on the West of this bull. He was on the East of me. We had an East wind. 
So I grabbed my decoy. I'm in three foot tall sagebrush and Zach gets right. I hold my decoy up over my head and I just kind of kneel down in the sagebrush and I rip out the loudest cow call I can. And that bull from 800 yards, he saw that decoy shining and he started running towards us. And I bet I got it on video. It took that bull probably 50 some seconds, less than a minute to cover 800 yards. And he was coming up. That hill was super steep, and I couldn't see him coming up. I could just hear him breathing and bugling the whole way. Zach set up about 25 yards in front of me, and he stuck that bull at 30 yards. And that was a 370-inch giant wow, on the 14th, man. 13th of October Holy in cow. open country with a decoy huh. on the 13th of October. So he was still as excited, like we had just talked about, as those bulls are at the beginning of September. He went through the rut. Either he got kicked off a harem or he was searching for second second cycle cows. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but he that day. He was lonely, day, man. He was old and lonely. Exactly. <laughs> that day, the decoy, Delilah did her thing, and we came home with a giant. But I need to see. I'm going to have to see a picture of Delilah. Yeah, you know, I, 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 need, her, <laughs> I need her sister or something. She's uh, she's pretty she's pretty ragtagged up. She's yeah. had pike or two on her. She's had mice. She's got mouse holes chewed in her from a lot of overnight camping trips. Oh but. yeah, that just makes it a little bit better, man. She's just salty. That's all. That's all. exactly exactly. What, what kind of um, when you're thinking about somebody that's listening to this and and they're like, okay, I've I've tried this open country, you know, not not really calling thing. Maybe maybe used a decoy here and there. They've tried it a few times unsuccessfully, and and they're listening to this, and they're like, okay, Sam's talking about this. I know, I know what to do now. He talks about that. I know what to do in that situation. What are some surprises that have caught you off guard in the field where it like cost you an elk that maybe maybe you can head off the at the pass? You know, uh, somebody somebody going out this season. Tons of I think we've all blown a million stocks. To oh yeah, that totally. yeah, we're all responsible right? for it. Um, I would say in the open country, I brought this up with that, uh, bull or I try to think of scenarios. I'm, I'm, I'm very visual, I guess. When I get asked questions, I yeah, think me too, scenarios, but, um, that's why I like having you on. Cause you, you're like, you're visual like I am. And that's how I learned. Okay. <laughs> okay. So last year on a bull, I had my wife wanted to stock on a bull. And this is a scenario when it's kind of six, one way, half dozen, the other. I don't know what I should have done this one, Jim. It's kind of a head scratcher. It was a good bull. He's a stud. I'm actually. I'm going back after him this year. He's a hammer. And uh, mm-hmm. we saw him. We'd watched him all day bedded across this canyon from us. And he tucked himself in some timber that was – it was too sketchy to, to go in on a stock. Well, about 2.30 in the afternoon, he got up and he started grazing in one of those kind of green green grass bottoms. You know, it had some green, green shoots in it. He got up and he grazed in there for probably 45 minutes and worked his way up to where – he bedded underneath like a, a little washout. And so it was a washout with some cedar trees around it. He tucked himself right in there. Well, from above, the approach from above him now, he literally put himself in like a mule deer bed. So it was the perfect stocking scenario. And I looked at my wife and I was like, all right, babe, like this is the chance. If we want to go stock one, this, and I bugled at him earlier in the morning to see what he did. And all he did is later, this is September 1st. He bugled right back at me and just laid in his bed. And then I bugled at him about an hour and a half later, and I could see him. He was 900 yards from us, 800. I bugled again. He didn't even pick up his head. He didn't care anymore. So we worked our way all the way across. It's a big canyon. Worked our way over there, had the wind right, and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And this stock took us probably to get from about the 90-yard mark to the closest. We got to 42 yards. That probably took us 
over an hour to get that close because it was real quiet. There wasn't a lot of wind, and we both had our shoes off. You know, we're sneaking in our socks. This is one of those scenarios where I didn't use a cow call. I didn't use Delilah, and this is where I said hindsight is twenty twenty. I I don't know if I should have right here. We got to forty two yards. I had my wife standing right in front of me. And we could see his antler tops right back to uh, he's like a satellite. I could see from his G3s up. He's got a weak G3 on his right. His left G3 is probably 16 inches. His Royals are 20 plus. He's a stud. He's a big bull. Wow. And yeah. by now he'd gotten up. He's standing up. He, but we can't see any part of his body because the washout that he had bedded in is so deep. You can't see his body. He's he's grazing on some of those green shoots. He needs to take about six or eight steps for him to be clearing where we can get a shoulder shot. Probably actually three steps. Now, right back to what I said, I hadn't seen a cloud in the sky when I started this stock. Mm. I was on an uphill thermal. All of a sudden, I'm like looking up in the sky, and there's one cloud that is built in the last hour that we were stocking. And that cloud works its way, works its way, and it starts covering that sunshine. And it wasn't... The minute that cloud got fully over that sun, I felt that wind hit our backs and it was over. It was over in a blink of an eye and I never saw that bull again. And uh, you asked like, what, what, what could you do wrong or, or different? That yeah, you, like, you I, more just like a lesson learned things to be aware of. And that that's a really good one, actually, man, because I don't think most people think about I, I don't think they think about what a dark cloud can do to your thermals. And, and I wrote uh. an article a few years ago. Strictly about thermals. In fact, I should do like an episode on it because um, I really geeked out on thermals. And, and you just nailed it, man. When you're out there and the sun is shining, it's hot and it's it's nice. You, you don't have any kind of like, you know, prevailing wind or mountain wind or anything. It's just thermal, just an upward thermal. Yeah. Don't underestimate what a cloud and it could be like you were talking about, you know, those little they're like dime sized clouds that just yep. just enough to cover the sun. <laughs> you know, but yeah. especially like a really dark cloud. We all we, we've all seen those those late summer dark clouds. They're not like really threatening to storm or anything, and they're not they're not super big, and they're not moving very fast. And that's the problem is is they'll they'll hit they'll hit the sun, they'll cover the sun, and it it does not take five minutes to change the thermal. It takes like five seconds. It, yeah, it, it's fast, and and all of a sudden that wind completely shifts. And I've just, I've learned that lesson the hard way, like you, where I just wasn't really watching the sky. And I, I think that's just, yeah, I think that's like a, you know, I always like, I always look for key takeaways in each of these episodes. Well, thanks. That's one thing I've learned. Probably that goes back to a lot of my mule deer, mule deer hunting stuff, to be honest with you. And I've learned that that's just, it's very key to watch that sky. And because yeah. that's, that's going to completely completely and then the later in the afternoon it gets the worse they get and mm -hmm. because it just seems like that that humidity has been building all afternoon i mean i think about that's when we get our thunder boomers so that was definitely that's one thing that i always try to key in on and that truly that that bull got away from us because of that little intricate detail of that one cloud last year because we had the stock nailed we had stopped we were done stocking we were in an effective range he was up grazing it was just a matter of time before he took a couple more steps and he was going to be in a shooting window for her and he got away because of that one cloud. So I guess that's one thing that I, I definitely I put into my playbook and I try to remember it. And I thought I was pretty aware of it that day. I think that stock just took a little longer than I thought it would to develop. And that's what that's what got us. 
Well, and when you're forty two way uh, when you when you're forty two yards away from a bull, who's thinking about looking at the clouds? <laughs> you, you know <laughs> yeah, I mean? exactly. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like focus on where to aim as soon as he yeah, steps man. out. You're totally right. Yeah, where your yeah. feet are. Yeah, just totally distracted. I, I would not. I wouldn't think to look at that. So no, that's that's a yeah. great that's a great takeaway. When you're doing this this type of hunting, Sam, and in like you're reminiscing about it, have you? I would assume with all the hunting and all the guiding and all these the experience that you have elk hunting, you've been in a couple of vocal knockdown battles with a bull. Every once in a while, you know, bugling a bull in and and. Am I off base by saying that? Oh no, yeah, I've definitely done some awesome calls, calling sequences. I've had some really cool ones. Do you ever, do you ever wonder or ponder or regret not doing that? Or uh, I, and I, I guess the reason I'm asking is because I, the way you're describing this, I really want to try it, and I don't care what state I'm in. I, I just really want to try it. I, I've never really had the opportunity for bow hunting to be hunting elk in that, that open country. I've done it with a rifle and whatnot, and it uh, changes things up a little bit, so to speak. But um, I, I, I guess I, I'm asking because I'm so passionate about the communication aspect of hunting. In fact, when I have, when I have a really good encounter with, with a bugle tube, and I've I bugled a bull in, and maybe something happened and I didn't get the bull, which, well, I, I see maybe normally... What's going to happen is I screwed something up and the bull gets away, right? But I uh-huh. feel I feel so successful once I've communicated with this bull and I brought him into bow range, and and I, either I had a shot opportunity or I, maybe I did fling an arrow or maybe there there was just brush in the way and I couldn't get a shot off. I, that's that that's the day for me. I and like it it makes it for me, and I feel totally. successful. And and so um, I, I I'm thinking about this and how much fun it sounds like to do what you're doing and what you're describing and and I think there's a lot of hunters out there that are going to listen to this and they're going to be like man, this guy knows what he's talking about and I, I I'm I'm going to get a lot out of it, but I'm I would be concerned that I would miss out on the communication aspect of calling in a big rutted up pissed off bull, and what what your reaction is to that? It, is it something you miss or is it something that's like meh? You know I'd rather do it this way. I don't think there's, I think that's why I, I revert back to Brian Barney because I, I love the hell out of Brian Barney. And I, don't, I don't know if there's a better bow hunter in my eyes than that guy. He's a stud. Yeah. And uh, he's he's a straight up spot and stop killer. And he has killed in bulls. Like he's called in bulls and killed him when he was, he was in his younger years, right? But he he really likes just the spot and stop game. That's where I like to say that I'm a hybrid because I, when I like that bull asher, I told you that was one of the most, that's probably one of the most epic elk kills. I mean, one of them. And then the year, so I had two back to back, one of each. So the year prior, I killed a really good, one of my biggest, I think he is my biggest bull two years ago. I killed him literally playing the complete spot and stock game, worked in on him as cows, laid with the herd for two and a half hours. I fell asleep on the cam of my bow. And the only thing I kept waking me up was him bugling. It'd wake me up. I would look over the log. He was still there. I'd go back to sleep. And I was literally laying <laughs> 90 yards from this bull. So I had that encounter. I ended ended up killing that bull. Fast forward to the last season where I see a bull and his cows. I work in down to a close bench, know that I'm tight in on them. The wind might whiff me here pretty soon. So I'm like, I got nothing to lose. I had confidence. It wasn't that he was a giant. He was a good, mature herd bull. And I was like, I can 
if I screw this up, I can find another one. Actually, I don't really think I thought that. I was like, I'm going to kill this SOB, and that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And I just had the confidence to rip off my bugle and to watch him walk in. You know exactly what I'm talking about because you like calling. Mm -hmm. When he's stiff-legged, eyes rolled back in his head, his head's cocked to one side, he's drooling, coming in, looking for a fight. Like, there's not much that beats that either. So I'm not opposed to – I like having all of that in my game, my bag of tricks, right? I'm not going to sit there and run ridges and bugle and look for the only pissed-off one because as I'm running ridges, I'm glassing. If I can sneak up on one, I'm going to sneak up on one. Um, I'm not very good at creating the scenarios of the fight scenario and making them there. The bulls that I have called in – I have been in tight on them. I've been in their house where they had I had all I didn't have to create a scenario. I was in on them and I was I was closer to cows than they were and they had to come fight me if they wanted to keep those cows. So and there's nothing better than that. I've also had really good luck just cow calling, working in close on bulls in that early season and cow calling a little bit and I've had giants come in and we've stuck arrows in giant bulls because they're just looking for a cow to breed because it's that time of year with Delilah. So I can't say that when I kill one spot in stock, I'm absolutely stoked. When I kill one with a call, I'm just as stoked. Uh, I'll take elk hunting yeah. as it comes. I just want to fill my tag every year. And it's not like I feel like I'm missing out on, on either or because uh, whatever it takes to kill a bull is what I'm going to do. So, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I keep swallowing water wrong. We're right when you're talking. No, you're good. Gosh, um, like, have you ever, have you ever just killed a bull where there was no vocalization, like zero, no cow calls, no bugle, no nothing? Just, I, I mean, obviously you have. You told me the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never done um, that. I've never done that, and that's what I'm curious about. What kind of satisfaction comes out of this, where it's like this, it's like this cat and mouse game where the bull doesn't even really know you're there. And and you slip I've, in and stick an arrow in there, and there wasn't even a peep made from either one of you. I think that's uh, that's the true man man versus beast. Like when you yeah, can go in their house, yeah. that's like I think when you know guys have such a high of killing you know big mule. I, I revert back to mule deer because I've grown up mule deer and elk hunting. I, you know mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you which one is my favorite to hunt because it's whichever one I'm chasing at the time. Um, and when you can sneak up on a big, mature mule deer buck in his house, when he knows every inch of every blade of grass, every bed, he knows which way the winds, how the washing machine wind effects works in his bed. He beds bull elk are the exact same way. They bed down in those spots in the timber where they know the winds come from every direction, where a hunter, a predator can't slip in on them and, and, and get them, right? Attack them. Yeah. When you can beat all of those odds, and you can stick an arrow in a bull and he has no idea you're there. Or when you can slip in past 40 sets of eyes on cows, 80 sets of eyes on cows. I killed a bull in 2014. I watched 114 cows, you know, that was cows and spikes come out. And I stuck that bull on September 3rd. He had 114 head of cows in him. I'm not saying I'm a badass. I sat there all, I watched him go on this patch of timber. This was at 10,000 feet. I sat on the edge of this meadow, probably 400 yards from them, thinking they were going to come back out in that meadow. And when it started to get to prime time that night, they weren't coming back in that meadow. So I worked my way down across that meadow, up into the timber patch. So I'd watch them. They had worked out over the top silently. September 3rd, he didn't bugle once. They'd worked their way out over the top of the ridge. And when I pop out over the top of the ridge, they're spread in, an, in, a, in a line starting to graze that edge of the timber. I had to work around the edge of the timber. And they were falling off into this canyon to where there was water. And I literally watched 114 elk buck pass me. And this bull was the, like, I don't know, fourth or fifth to the last one. 
before I got an air on him. When you can beat all of those eyes, all of those noses, that rush right there for me is just, just, yeah, ears. It's just as good as as bugling a bull and, you know, tricking him to thinking you're in there for a fight. So it does it for me either way. When you can go in the beast's house and stick an arrow in him and he didn't know you were there, like that element surprise and you win. I don't know, man. There's not much to tops that for me either. Yeah, that'd be a tough call. That'd be such a tough <laughs> call for me. I would, I, I really want to try it, man. I just, I just have such a thing for, and I honestly, man, I, I don't care if it's elk. Elk just tend to get me the most excited. But oh, I, absolutely, I, I love calling in predators. I love calling in, yeah, uh, whitetail. I've never called in a muley, man. Um, but the whitetail are 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 a hoot to call. I love calling in turkeys. You know, and so there's there's that that side of it that I I think that um, when you start putting together the entire essence of what what a hunt is to you personally, for me, a big part of it is the vocalization. However, comma, if if I had the opportunity to hunt that kind of country and and slip in on a bull and stick him without him even knowing I was there and like not even a sound was made between him or I, I I, I think that that would be tough to beat. I really do. Yeah. And I love yeah. calling elk, man. So that that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's just it's one of those things that if you if you try it and you might like it. And if you know, I've snuck up on turkeys, um, and I've called turkeys in. I just spotting stock spot and stock for me is I love it. I like being able to I really feel like I've beat the beast when I've yeah. snuck in on them on their house and they have no idea I'm there and I get an arrow in them. I think it's a pretty pretty sweet feeling um but like i do i rattle whitetail in i like i like when i rattle a whitetail buck and he comes charging through all the brush looking for me i think that's pretty exhilarating yeah and when those big bulls those fun, big man. bulls come in <laughs> oh yeah when a big bull comes in they sound like a damn dragon yelling at you it's uh it's pretty unreal mm-hmm. dragon so, is a good way to uh, dragon is a great way to put that man because it's almost like they are breathing fire <laughs> that's, that's yeah what it sounds like it so. is well, I'll, I'll, I want to throw one last question at you. Um, wh- again, going back, I'm just I'm highlighting that you have a lot of experience, and especially as a as a guide, you've had a lot of experience with hunters that you know had very little experience. And I think that sometimes they come out and they have like an expectation in their mind, or or you know maybe a, a, an idea as to what elk hunting is, and and because they can't drop that perception of what they don't know i don't know if i'm painting this picture right they, they come with an expectation and a perception of what hunting is and 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 they have a hard time dropping that while in the elk woods and it, and it might cost them an elk have you seen that scenario and is there like a common theme as to what misconceptions people coming out west to hunt elk is and how do they how do they fix that is that is this making uh, any sense, man? Um, I okay, I, I kind of think I know where you're going. Like they have it's these, like, like they've 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 read books or they've watched YouTube videos and they think this is the hunt that I'm going on. And- yeah, yeah. They they have they have just like this very limited experience and perception of what elk hunting is. And and bear with me, man. It has been a long, hot July day, so I feel like my my hamster isn't spinning my wheel very fast tonight. But, um. You know what I mean? Where they they're they're coming out, they're new to hunting, the elk hunting, and and they just they think it's going to be one way, and then reality strikes, and they go home empty-handed because they couldn't lose what they thought their you know perception was. You know, I've been very lucky. I think that 
I think since I've been a kid, right, I've been around guiding and we're very upfront with every, every hunter, every client I've ever had, I've kind of explained to him, this is what it is. And this is how it's going to be. And first of all, in my truck, it's, it's a lot of rifle hunters. I mean, I've guided 95% rifle hunters and it's like safety first. So I don't care what you've seen on TV. I don't care what you've seen read in magazines. This is how we do it. We're talking we're, this is how it's going to be done. And I will get you an opportunity in elk. I guarantee it. Um, I've always had, I mean, I can count on she's less than one hand. How many guys have been bad apples or have left with, without an elk and unhappy about it because it wasn't a situation that they had, had dreamt of. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think once once a guy gets out here to the west and once a guy gets on these hunts, they're they they're almost overwhelmed that they the vastness, right? They don't realize how far a far shot is that you can see thousands of yards. I think that's always the big thing is they they've shot their gun at home and in, in some timbered country and out on the east, you know, Pennsylvania I bring up or yeah. Michigan or Wisconsin where they've sat in a tree stand their whole life and now they've made it to Wyoming to hunt. Now they can see thousands of yards and we're looking at elk at two miles away and we're glassing bulls at two, two miles away. And I don't think we've ever let anybody down, to be honest with you. I think uh, everybody's always, I've been very lucky maybe in, in that uh, instance where every hunter I've had is always, I can't say every hunter. Maybe they go talk a lot of shit behind my back when I don't know it, when they're, <laughs> when they're, when they're done hunting. But in when they've left, I've thought that I've always had very happy clients. I've been very lucky to guide guys that have always been, I think I've showed them a, a great experience and I talk a lot, so they probably get tired of hearing me talk, but I, I, I really don't think I've ever had a bad, a bad experience. And I think they've always left with almost, almost, uh, maybe it wasn't the exact hunt they had dreamt of, but I think that they've been, uh, it's almost, it's almost been more than they dreamt of in the same, in the same instance. I think that, that we've yeah, fulfilled that their sense. bucket more than yeah, that makes I, sense. I, they they thought it was going to be one way, but then when reality hit them, they were like, "Oh wow, this is even better." But it's different. It's, it's different than different. I thought it was, yeah, but it's, it's better different. than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would yeah. say that that's if if there's any misconceptions, that's usually maybe the way it goes. And are you the I one? Truly, are are you the one, Sam? I asked you know as a guide what what irritates you the most, and you said it was when people yeah. get in your truck with muddy feet. <laughs> yeah. was that you that was you wasn't it yeah that was you we were talking about that i was sick yep. about that i was <laughs> i for my day job i was i had to meet one of my one of the guys at uh at work down on this muddy job site like a month later after we'd talked about that and i remember thinking man i'm gonna kick my, my the mud off my boots before i get in the truck <laughs> mud on their boots and not not caring about it it's my personal vehicle and then uh yeah, yeah. not opening opening gates Man, oh, you can pull yeah. it to a gate. But I've had guys sit there, look right at me, or, and I hop out, open the gate. And that's not what I expect, right? These guys paid to have a good time, but geez, if if I'm going to go to your office, I probably will hold your office door open for you so yes. that we can both walk in. Well, let's let's talk about some <laughs> gate etiquette because that one drives me crazy too. The driver is if you're riding not shotgun, the one. If yeah, you're riding shotgun, if you're riding shotgun, you get the gate. If you, that's what you're forgetting to be able to sit up front. If you got your buddies in the back seat, they are not gate bitches. If you're a shotgun, you have the gate obligation. And it's just that's it ranch, makes that's it ranch so etiquette. Much, yeah, and it makes it so much easier. <laughs> it makes things so much smoother because now there is an, a set expectation of what is required of you as being the shotgun rider. So you get out, open the gate, you wait for the truck to pass, and you close it behind you. I think that, yeah, and make sure you're on the right set. Make sure you're on the right side of the fence. Ninety percent of the guys that do it for the first time will shut the gate, and they get all excited that they got the wire gate shut because nobody can ever figure out a gate latch. And then they yes. look and they go, 
Oh, on the wrong side of the yes, gate, and sir. then everybody picking laughing at him. So, yes, oh yeah, we've seen it all. I've Don't seen it twist all. your ankle yeah. in the cattle cross. But there you the, go. <laughs> uh, I think that I think that maybe we we may have saved some frustration. I, and I want people to know if if you are like you know unfamiliar with this country out west, and and you are coming out here and you're hiring a guide, the guide may not say anything or he may play it down. But the expectation is whether he says it or not that you are the gate bitch. Get out and open it. That's it. It'll make I'll day. find every elk. Yep. I'll find every elk for you. I'll find every deer for you. I'll gut everything for you. I'll quarter it for you. Just open the gate for me. That'll make <laughs> it making make things quicker for us in the mornings and evenings, getting to and from where I'm going. Fantastic, <laughs> Sam. As always, this is you're such a fun guy to get on the show, man. I, I really enjoy having you every time. Um, it, you're just a wealth of information too. I mean, I, 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 a guy like you, I would love to go hunting with you one day. You know, it's 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 one of those things. It'd just be like such an honor to to go set a mountain and just listen to you talk about how your glass and elk would be a huge education for me. And I'd I'd I really appreciate, uh, you know, your willingness to share this information on the show. Well, I really appreciate the kind words, Jim, and. Yeah, I just, I was very fortunate, like I tell people, I was just very fortunate to grow up the life I did. I don't know any different. This is this is me, and I grew up hunting my whole life, and that's all I do. So yes, sir. thank you very much for the, the kind words, man. Well, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, I'm mostly on Instagram, uh, sdavis2506. sdavis2506 is my Instagram handle, and uh I have a YouTube channel that I'm not, you know, I don't do a whole lot of YouTube anymore because I was, I'm fortunate enough that I've done some films for Stone Glacier and I'm on some of Stone Glacier's films. I've done some bow hunting for them. Oh, cool. With them. And so, yeah, Stone Glacier, actually, they just released, I did a bison hunt with them uh, last fall and I killed a, I actually was able to draw the once in a lifetime buffalo tag in Wyoming and we were able to capture it all on video. And that hunt just came out about a month ago. So, oh, nice. yeah, they can find find some of my hunts on stone glacier i have a mule deer hunt on there and yeah that's Man, that's you, me in a nutshell if you if you don't if you remember uh send me the link to that video and i'll put it in the show notes okay yeah i can do that i'll text it to you when we get off okay cool yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love yeah, to watch was, that anyway so it turned out zach bowden from stone glacier he's a he's a wizard with the camera and editing and Man, we were very lucky. It, it, the film turned out incredible. Sweet, yeah, I'd love to watch yeah. that too. By the way, so yeah. All right, guys. Well, that'll that'll be in the show notes, um, and uh, so we'll so we'll Sam's Instagram handle. So, All right. Well. So yeah, man. I, I again, I, I just I really I, I do appreciate it. I hope I hope you're one of those guys I can just kind of bring back on in the future. You know, as as we uh, as we roll through the years, man. You're like one of those return guests that brings a lot of value. Well, hey, thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. I like talking hunting, so. All right, man. Well, thanks again, and you have a great night, and we'll, we'll just keep in touch. All right. Sounds good, Jim. Thank you. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.